Hi guys, uh, Pastor Greg Corcoran here from Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, pray that this sermon is a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge to you in your walk with the Lord. Additionally, I just wanted to say that if we here at Battlefield can ever be a blessing to you, please don't hesitate to contact us. And the best way to do that is through our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Again, I pray this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with his word, and more in love with people. What a beautiful song. Pray that you're turning your eyes to Jesus today and every day. Amen. I um, want to encourage you a couple of things. Uh, listen, right outside of the sanctuary, when you leave today, I believe we can knock this tree out uh, today. There are a bunch of envelopes on that tree, and they all have a number ranging from 1 to 100. And uh, I, I want to encourage you to grab one of those envelopes. They're decorated by the children. And uh, the number corresponding is your opportunity to be a blessing for kids camp. And so this is a fundraiser to help kids as they're going to summer camp this year. We have defrayed the cost of camp, uh, but if you get involved, we'll be able to defray it a little bit more. Amen? And so uh, grab one of those envelopes that's out there in the lobby on the tree. And I know the kids would uh, really appreciate it, as well as our workers this morning. Also, at the end of service, when I finish up here in just a few moments, we'll be observing baptism and so if you need to follow the Lord and believers baptism, gentlemen, uh, to my left, to your right, just go right around that way up the stairs and then ladies over this way, up the stairs that way. And uh, everything has been made ready for you, uh, literally to make your profession of faith and be baptized. And so I encourage you to do that as unto the Lord today. Uh, that would be pleasing to the Lord. And then tonight... At 5 o'clock, I should have dubbed it Ordinance Sunday. Tonight at 5 o'clock, we'll be observing the Lord's Supper. And Jesus said this, do ye in what? Remembrance of me. He didn't say, if you think about it, do it. He said, it, this do in remembrance of me. And so I encourage you to make that a priority. It's not a long service, but it is an intimate time where we get together as a unity, as a unified body, and we come before uh, the Lord's table to uh, partake of His supper and to remember Him. And so that'll be at 5 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, take your Bibles if you have them this morning. If not, grab the one in front of you or uh, go to... I want to start with uh, one uh, verse in Psalm 127. Psalm 127 and... I think you'll understand where we're going right after you get there. We're going to begin a series today uh, on the family. And, and so uh, I pray that the Lord will bless our time in his word. Look with me beginning in uh, simply one verse, one verse uh, there beginning Psalm 127, verse number one. And the Bible says, except the Lord build the house... They labor in vain that build it. Let's read that again. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you. We thank you that it doesn't matter what the world says. It, it matters what you say as far as our relationship with you. And so, Lord, I'm thankful that we can be forgiven and have life everlasting in your risen Son, Jesus Christ. 
Thankful that you are the same God yesterday, today, and forever. You will not leave us nor forsake us. And God, we believe that you have the ability today to do what you have done then and that you will do today and tomorrow the same things because of your greatness. And so, Father, I pray that now as we look at your word that our eyes would be turned toward you, that we might hear from you today, that we might be encouraged from you today, that we might be instructed from you today. Lord, I pray that you would give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech. God, I pray that you'll give me the sensitivity to deliver your word just as it should be delivered today. And God, will be careful to give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all that you'll do in the next few moments of time. And we'll give you the praise in advance for it in Jesus' precious name and for his sake. Amen and amen. Well, let me just begin by saying welcome to the war. Welcome to the war. If, if you have been on vacation, out of lunch, out to lunch, unplugged, or maybe asleep at the wheel for a while, let me bring you up to speed on the state of affairs in 2023. Families and homes are under attack like never before. And you say, well, I heard that said... Nine and a half, ten years ago, you preached a message on the dream home, a series on the dream home, and it seems like you said something like that then. Six years ago, I remember the fantastic family, and it seems like you said something similar to that then. Can I tell you that it is really serious right now, today in 2023? And for the most part, the notions of God's absolute authority and absolute truth have been thrown out the window and replaced with all sorts of things. In fact, most people, most people today, even, now this is going to shock you, but it might even be some in this room or some watching online who call yourself a follower of Christ. Some people discount the very word of God as being His word. In some instances, what we have done as a nation and as believers, a lot of people do this. We're like, well, I don't like this part. And I certainly don't like this part, so let me get rid of that. And then what we do is we focus on one or two verses for the majority of our life and we do ourselves a disservice. But the reality is absolute authority and absolute truth is not changed whether the world wants to throw it out the window or not. But there are all sorts of things that are attacking the family and the home and Things like amoral philosophies, amoral philosophies. These are, uh, this is a new truth consisting of no accountability. Does that sound familiar? No restraint, no standards, no right and wrong. Assisting in the attacks on the biblical family are also advocates of the humanistic movement. They're advocates of this, and I'll reference this in a little bit. But the humanistic movement really poses or proposes, if you please, uh, they exalt I should say they exalt self as being of prime importance. In fact, self is number one. And so the humanistic movement does away with God and anything related to supernatural matters. Those with a secular mindset, they've joined the party and they say that there is no God. So if it feels good, just do it. Have you heard those people? Maybe you know some. 
If it feels good, just do it. There is no God. This so-called truth is based on a system of doctrines and practices that disregard or reject any form of religious faith or worship. In fact, its, primarily, its primary objective is the total elimination, the total elimination of all godly elements from society. In fact, it, it kind of goes on and says it's a system that denigrates marriage, derides family morals, and devalues the sanctity of human life. But they do all of that while promoting wickedness, perversion of truth, and sin at every turn. And, and so you have this humanistic movement and this secular mindset, and they come together and they form what many people are, refer to as secularism. Have you heard the term secularism? Secularism, at its very core, is this idea of Darwinian evolution. Do you know that Darwinian evolution is pushed and taught as the gospel concerning creation? But the reality is that it's much more. It's about much more, even though talking about the fact that the earth was created millions and millions and billions of years ago, it's about much more than, than literally issues of biology and age dating. Darwinian evolution is a philosophy that says that you and I as humankind determine truth, we determine origins, therefore, watch this, we also determine the life itself. We have the right to define life, we have the right to define our origin, we have the right to figure it all out because we're so smart. <laughs> and to make matters worse, the media has joined the party. The media has joined the party. TV, internet, video, audio, vloggers, bog, bloggers, vloggers. I mean, I can't even think of them all. They're hard at work. They're hard at work. They've jumped right in to push and assist in every one of these philosophies, mindsets, and movements. And tragically, for the most part, you and I, we just keep listening. We keep watching. We keep soaking it all in. We keep absorbing the mindsets that are anti-biblical, all types of immodesty, inappropriate sexual promiscuity, incorrect, deviant, alternate lifestyles, indulgences of every kind. And we wonder, Pastor, why is your message entitled, Welcome to the War? Because there is a war that has been waged against the biblical home, the biblical family. And it's my job to remind us of biblical truth. By the way, can I tell you, the devil did not want me to preach this message today. Can I tell you, all week, the devil fought at every turn. I noticed that my foot hurt more. In fact, yesterday, my foot was excruciatingly painful. And, and I thought, man, that dirty old devil, he doesn't want me to preach this message. I started to feel sick at my stomach yesterday. Woke up at various times at night, felt sick. Got up this morning, felt sicker. And I said, no, devil, not today. Not today, because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Right? And so, listen, what can we do? Family matters. What can we do? What should we do? I think the first thing that we need to do is to remember, as the title says, family actually matters. It matters. Marriage matters. Husbands and wives matters. Moms and dads, I got good news for you. You actually matter. Young people, children, I've got news for you. You actually matter. Because ultimately families matter and are important to God. But if the foundation itself is not right, families and homes suffer. 
Can I say that again? If the foundation is not right, or if we've allowed the foundation to slide, homes suffer. Therefore, as we begin this series of Family Matters, we need to recognize some initial imperatives. Now, I'm going to give you the imperatives, and I'm, I'm begging you, if you're a note taker, write down these imperatives. Because when, you, when I say something here in a few minutes that's going to rub your fur the wrong way, I want you to look right back at those imperatives and know that it's not Greg who made them up, but this is God's word. And so here are the imperatives. Number one, God is God and I am not. Is that a good one? That's a pretty good one to start, right? God is God and I am not. In fact, Psalm 100 and verse 3, Know ye that the Lord, He is God, and it's He that made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. He's God. I'm not. Number two imperative. The Bible is God's word. Either you believe that or you don't. If you don't believe that the, the Bible is the word of God, then you might as well discount everything else that's said. But if you believe, hold on a second, watch this. If you believe John 3, 16, that God so loved the world and gave his only begotten son, then whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, then you need to believe in the beginning God. Right? And the very last word, amen. <laughs> right? From Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. Listen, you, you either believe that it is the word of God or you don't. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12 reminds us that the word of God is quick, it's alive. It is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and, and the joints and the marrow. And watch, it says, it is a discerner. It is a knower, in other words, of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God is God, I am not. Number two, the Bible is God's word. Number three, this one will really get us. God's thoughts and ways are higher. God's thoughts and ways are higher. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, it says it right there. For my thoughts, God says, are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God is God, I am not. The Bible is God's word. God's thoughts and ways are higher. And here's one. Our thoughts and ways may seem right, but dot, dot, dot. You see, because the Bible says in Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right unto a man or a woman, but the ways thereof are the ways of death. Number five, I already read the opening verse, God builds the home. God is God, I am not. The Bible is God's word. God's thoughts and ways are higher than my thoughts and ways. My ways may seem right from time to time. You know, sometimes we think we come up with good ideas. And God says, those aren't good ideas. And if we're going to talk about family matters, then we need to understand the fifth imperative is that God is the one who actually builds the home, not me and not you. Oh, listen. God is in charge. He wants us to understand some things from his word. So do me a favor. You see, I had already flipped there. Turn back with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, and as you're turning, I, I want you to know, and I want to kind of apologize from the outset, maybe, and, and I'm not apologizing for what I'm getting ready to preach. I want to apologize because some of you are going to think what I'm getting ready to lay down is pretty elementary. 
you're going to say, are these really the points? Is there not something loftier? Is there not something higher that I would have gained from coming today? Well, I hope that these elementary so-called points may burn in our hearts. That we might once again stand up, stand up for Jesus as soldiers of the cross. And so look with me in Genesis chapter 1, and the very first thought here, if you're a note taker, is pretty straightforward. Men and women are created in the image of God. Seems pretty novel enough. Look at verse number 26. In verse number 26, the Bible says, And God said, And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creepeth on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his image. In the image of God created he him, semicolon, watch what it says, male and female created he them. You see, in this war that is being waged against the family and being waged against your home is the incessant, that means non-stop, attack on pronouns. I took my son a mere four years ago to the West Virginia University. And when I got to West Virginia University, there was a sign on his dorm room door. You remember what it said? Son... What did it say? Name, colon, line, pronouns, colon, line, 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 line. Okay. Calm it down, Greg. Calm it down. Guys, what are we doing? What are we doing? Because I want to be inclusive, I want you to notice, look back at verse 26 and verse 27. Because if pronouns are a big deal in 2023, I'm okay with that. Because I want you to notice the pronouns, singular and plural, in verse 26 and 27. Let's get into pronouns. Let's do it. Because you see, men and women are created in the image of God. And so let's get into it. Look at verse 26. God said, let us. That us pronoun is a reference to the Trinity. The Holy Trinity of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We ought to take note of that pronoun. Verse 26 says, let us, again, make man in our image. So that means that creation, man, and we'll see here in a moment, man and woman are created in the very image of God, the Father, in the image of God, the Son, and in the image of the Holy Spirit of God. That's pretty important. But it goes on. Goes on and it says, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over creeping and every creeping thing. So we see a reference to the Trinity. We see a reference to the fact that you and I are God's image bearers. We bear the image of God, whether you're man or female, male or female. And we also see that God has given you, he has given me, he has given us authority over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and over the cattle and all the earth and every creeping thing, especially that big old spider that was walking through the cafe cafe yesterday. I saved your life. 
I got him. But notice in verse 27, let's continue the dialogue of pronouns. Because in verse number 27, the Bible says, male and female, he created he, them. Two separate entities created by one God in the image of one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, image bearers with authority over having dominion over the earth. And then in verse number 28, notice scripture says, God did what? He blessed them. Who wants the blessings of God on their life? Come on, be real. Come on, somebody say, I need a blessing. I need a blessing. Get y'all excited today. I know you're not excited about this message. But you can smile. You'll be like, oh no, here it comes. He's setting us up. Verse 28 says, God blessed them and said unto them, here you go, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. But notice the last one, and subdue it. The word subdue means to take possession of and to make use of. Take possession of this earth. Take possession and use it and make use of it. Have dominion over the fish, over the fowls of the air. Have dominion over the cattle and even over the little creepy, creepy things. Fathers, keep the creepy things away from your daughters. That'll be another message for Father's Day. <laughs> uh, so guys, what we find in the Holy Scriptures is that God created male and female, not, not confusion. Please hear me. Please hear me. God created male and female, not confusion. Not because... I, I'm proposing to be some great theological thinker or I'm trying to come off as some guy that knows better than anybody else. I'm just telling you the way it is. God created male and female, not confusion. He gave them personality. If you don't think he gave them personality, hang out with me for a while. If you don't think he gave us personality, hang out with my wife for a while. If you really don't think he created personality, hang out with our youngest son for a while. He got about 20 different personalities. Uh, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. About 18. All right. No. You see, God stamped his image. Think about this for a second, guys. God stamped his image on male and female and said, go. He said, you are my representatives. That's what he's saying when he gives them authority over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and the cattle and the beast and the creepy things. He says, you are my representatives. I've, I've stamped my image on you. You are my image bearers. I have done a great work. You are masterpieces beautifully created. Now go and represent me and have rule and dominion over all of the created things. In other words, I'm giving you responsibility. I'm giving you stewardship, and I'm giving you accountability because guess what? I'm still God, and you are not. And guess what? You answer to me. In this alone, in just this simple thought alone, we can plainly see from God's point of view that men and women are created uh, equal value. 
I thought I'd hear a lot from the ladies there. I'm sorry. We have been created, ladies, with equal value. Amen. Amen. Or oh my. We have been created equally in his image. We have been created to rule equally together over the fowl of the fish and the fowl of the air. And you get the point. And although God himself brings great clarity and simplicity in his word to the issue of either being a male or a female, a great deal of confusion began. You say, well, there have always been things going on in scripture. I, I, I just want you to know, who hears from the age of Aquarius? I see y'all out there with the white salt and pepper hair. This is on you all, Ricky Bobby. You see, because a great deal of confusion began in earnest back in the 1960s. When a new construct, when a new discussion of gender and gender dysphoria, not biological sex. By the way, if you don't know the difference between gender, gender dysphoria, and biological uh, sex, stay out of the conversation. I'm just going to say, stay out, because, because it's not the same. But a huge discussion about gender and gender dysphoria began to make its way on the scene. But folks, I want to be as loving as I can. So I want to point you back to our initial imperatives. You see, because our initial imperatives make it clear that as created beings, we do not have the authority. We do not have the authority to ignore or redefine what God has created and ordained. And that doesn't make me, guys, come on. That doesn't make me, that doesn't make you, and that doesn't make anyone, for that matter, a hater for recognizing that. The world is, has determined, as of recently, I'll be honest with you, uh, before COVID, I, COVID got people crazy. I'm just going to tell you, and you don't think the devil is pouncing on it? There are people who don't worship Jesus anymore with their body of believers. They, they've become lone Christians. That's not a thing. But, but the devil has pounced on, on people after COVID. And the reality is it, we saw an uptick in this, this idea that if I adhere to uh, uh, observable science, right, traceable science, if I, if, I, if, if I adhere to that, all of a sudden it seems like in 2020 or about 2021, I became a hater. I listen. If you don't know that, I won't even say it. I think that, you know, actions speak louder than words. But I dare say that I try to love everybody, even those who seem to want not to be loved. Those who are unlovable, so to speak, we're all that way. But here's the deal. It doesn't make me a hater. Listen, but here's, the, here's also a thought I put in my notes. You can agree with this, what I'm saying, but you better be walking in the spirit and not in the flesh. You see, a lot of times we're addressing people who are struggling with gender idea, ideologies or dysphorias. And, and what we do, instead of walking in the spirit, we walk in the flesh. Instead of speaking the truth in love, we're speaking the, the, the so-called truth in anger and resentment and, and frustration. And that's not biblical either. 
And so we have to be very, very careful on this. But can I tell you, welcome to the war because it is already at our front doorstep. The sad reality is at the end of the day, gender identity really isn't a variable. It really isn't a variable. It doesn't bring about the promised freedom that it proposes. I mean, if you read about it, 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 man, it sounds good. But go to our imperative number four. There's a way that seems right. There's a way that sounds good. There's a way that feels good. But God says those are the ways of death, spiritual death. And so even as I'm reading about these things, as I'm studying these things, I'm thinking, man, that sounds, uh, sounds logical in some regard. But the reality is that there are people who are struggling with this, and we need to point them back to God and to the truth of the imperatives. It's not a variable. It doesn't bring about promised freedom, but it brings about a type of a slavery, if you please, that is rooted and grounded in ever-changing desires and ever-changing feelings. Because here's the thing. I may feel this way today, but tomorrow I may feel a different way. And so I'm in slavery there, and now I'm in slavery, and then I'm in slavery, and I'm in slavery, and then I'm so far away, all the way back here is where the Bible says created he them, male and female. You see, it brings about this confusion. By the way, don't take my words for it. Even the famed atheist. You say, are you going to quote an atheist from the, the, the pulpit? Yes, I am right now. Even the famed atheist and evolutionary thinker, Richard Dawkins. If you, need to, if you don't, haven't heard that name... I'm surprised, but the famed atheist and, and, and evolutionary biologist Richard Dawkins agrees. Here's what he said. In a recent interview with the British journalist Piers Morgan, he declared, quote, there are two sexes and that's all there is to it, period. He went on to say that the LGBTQ plus activists who are looking to discredit and the reality of two biological sexes with new thinking are pushing, in his words, utter nonsense. This isn't just what, this isn't just what I'm telling you from God's word. This is what, uh, what someone who is somewhere near to the side of that type of thinking says. He says there's two sexes, and to push anything other than that is mere nonsense. That's why we need to get our answers from the Word of God. The Bible says in Colossians 3.16 that we need to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly in all wisdom. Proverbs 2 and verse 6, the Bible says, For the Lord giveth wisdom, out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. And when you get into the New Testament, a lot of people say, Pastor, I don't want to remind you, I don't want to be loud or anything, but that's Old Testament, we're in the New Testament. Okay, and in the New Testament, in Mark chapter 10 and verse number 6, Jesus talked about creation too. He said these words, he said, But from the beginning of the creation of God made them what? Even Jesus confirmed. And so men and women are created in the image of God. Secondly, men and women have different roles. Now the women are thinking, where's he going to go with this? Well, I'm just going to go to Scripture. <laughs> Is this where he's going to put us down? He's going to put us under the thumb? No, not my job. Because God has given you a glorious role and a glorious responsibility as we'll see from Scripture, Adam is given very clear, stay with me, don't throw the spitballs at me yet. 
Adam is given very clear responsibilities for his beautiful bride Eve and their new family. This too is an area of attack on the family and home today. Look, in Genesis uh, 1, in Genesis 1, I'm going to flip over. In Genesis 1, we got a summary surrounding the creation of male and female. Flip over one page to Genesis chapter 2, because here in verse number 7, notice what Scripture says. We're told in verse 7, and the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. So we're given a little bit more out of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils, pronouns. I've underlined every pronoun in, in my notes. I'd encourage you to do the same thing in your Bible or in your notes that you're taking. It says, and the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And so uh, we see, I hate to be the bearer of this news. I'm going to say it quietly so I don't get thrown to spitballs. Man was created first, ladies. Okay, just stay with me. Drop down to verse 15. In verse 15, the Bible continues, And the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So God gives him a role and a responsibility right there. Verse number 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Verse 17, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. This instruction, everybody, let me just make it clear, loud and clear. This instruction was given to Adam, not Eve. Now, you say, then what's all the fuss about in Genesis chapter 3? Well, we have very clear evidence from Genesis chapter 3 and verses 2 and 3 that Adam, the male, must have at some point communicated this instruction and this command to Eve because she gives testimony of such in that passage of Scripture. And so let's jump down, continue on. Because here's what I know. Any attorney worth their weight in salt will tell you, <laughs> as I look at attorneys over here, they will tell you that details matter. Details matter when building your case. So look at verse 19 and 20. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto who? Adam to see what he, underline, would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, underline that, every living creature, that was the name thereof. And verse 20, and Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the fowl of the air, and to every beast. So by allowing Adam to name every living creature, Scripture is pointing to the very authority and the very responsibility that God has given Adam. Everybody following the train of thought right now? Because I'm getting ready to set it up, men and women are given different roles. Now, look at verse 20. Verse 20 at the end says, But for Adam there was not found a help meet for him. To be sure, let's just say it this way, to be sure, God, if God could create man out of nothing, if he could take the dust of the ground from the very dust that he created, and he could breathe into his nostrils, what nostrils? He had to create them. You see, you see the creative uh, uh, power of God? He takes the dust out of the ground that he created, he breathes in the nostrils that were never created, and he breathes in them the very breath of life, and man becomes a living soul. Not only physically a person, but 
spiritually a person as well. So we see that right here in our text. But there's something significant I want you to see. Because if God could do that, he could have created woman any way he wanted. You know? He could have said, well, well, well. Let me go. God doesn't talk like that, I'm sure. <laughs> Let me go into the recesses of my mind and figure this one out. I don't think so. You know what he does? He says, I'm going to prove how loving and how great a God I am. I'm going to prove what a magnificent creature is about to come along. And notice the rest of the story because here, the significant and beautiful creature, which some women would like, some women would like to say, the pinnacle of God's creation, because she came last. God had to get everything else first before he got to perfection. That's what some ladies would say. He had to get all the kinks out in Adam before he got it right with Eve. Whatever makes, you know, and the guys on the other hand, guys would say the reason he created Adam first was so that man could get a word in before woman was created. I mean, we could tell jokes all day long. <laughs> you know, who came first, the chicken or the egg, and on and on, right? But there's something very beautiful and significant. Watch this, guys. Look at verses 21 and 22, because here there's something very beautiful and significant that takes place. When God creates woman, as we know, if you're in the medical field, God gives Adam some anesthesia and he goes nighty-night. He surgically removes one of Adam's ribs. He then closes up the incision. By the way, God didn't need stitches or staples. He just closed it up. And then in verse 22, we also see God forms woman from that rib. And what do we see? Remember, please stay with me and don't... don't think I'm trying to say something I'm not. God creates the fish, the fowl, the beast, the creepy thing, and he brings them to Adam. He says, there's not a help me asleep. Guys, do you see it? He's on the operating table of God. God says, you can't make it on your own. He says, I'm going to make you a helpmeet. He says, you know, you can't make it on your own. And he says, to, to, to prove my love for you, I'm going to make her out of a rib right from your side so she'll be close by you. Not so that you can stamp all over. I, had that been the case, God would have opened up the foot. But he opens up the side, I believe, closest to his heart. And says, here, I'm going to make a woman. Now watch. This is a beautiful thing because look in verse 23. Just as God brought the animals and said, name these animals and whatever you name these animals, Adam, I'm giving you authority. I'm giving you responsibility. You're going to name them. You're going to have dominion over them. By the way, chapter 1 says that they both have dominion, so they're created equal in value, equal in purpose, equal in rule. Watch, but watch what he says here in verse 23. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman. Because, watch the pronoun, because she was taken out of man. 
on the surface, it may not seem like a big deal. But when you really get down to where the rubber meets the road, it's a huge deal. Because God gives authority and responsibility even in this moment. And whether we like it or not, in the beginning, man was given this authority and responsibility for his beautiful bride, for his beautiful wife that God had given. And by the way, you say, well, how do you know that? Let me just say this. If you look at chapter 3, just look at it for a second. We're not going to go there because we don't have time. But if you look at chapter 3 and verse number 9, the Bible says that the Lord God calls out to Adam. This is after they've sinned. If Adam didn't have responsibility over his family, why didn't God call Eve and say, Hey, woman, why did you listen to the serpent? Hey, woman, what have you done? No, God says, Hey, Adam, where are you at? What's going on? And you know, they said they hid themselves because they realized that they're naked of their sinfulness. But God addresses Adam because God had given the command about the tree to Adam. And God had given authority and responsibility to Adam in the moment. He said, what are you going to call her? He said, what are you going to call her? Look at this beautiful helpmeet that I've created to be by your side, to come alongside of you. And Adam said she should be called woman. Oh, listen, God had given him this representative leadership in the garden and over Eve, and so God addresses him, and, and I feel like at this juncture it's gotten really quiet, so I just want to point everybody back to the imperatives. God is God and we are not. It doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't. Adam and Eve were equal in value, created equal in God's image. Ruling equal in Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Adam is now given responsibility for Eve and the animals. And when we connect all the dots, Scripture teaches us that a woman's role from the very beginning was to be this beautiful, suitable helpmeet for man. And can I just say that's not the only role that a woman has. But for the sake of this simple elementary, I guess if you want to put it that way, message... That's what I want us to gain because you see the world is waging a war against those of us who are of faith. Look at verse 18. Because verse 18 puts it this way. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make for him a help meet. So in other words, God, whose thoughts and ways are much higher than our thoughts and ways, said, I'm going to create someone to help man in all of the affairs of life, not only in the reciprocation of feelings or the purposes of procreation, but I'm going to create someone special as a counterpart to intelligently provide and assist in things that are useful, things that are comfortable, and things that are agreeable. And regardless of what those attackers of biblical truth and biblical families say, God's word never, ever, ever suggests that a woman is inferior to a man and you'll never hear me say that either but God's word does say that she is the only watch this the only suitable helpmeet for man are you picking up what I'm throwing down that's God's word we either believe it or we don't we either believe that he's God and we are not we either believe that the Bible is his word or we don't this is what he says. And since God knew it wasn't good for man to be alone, I would suggest that he was declaring a woman's in, her value in advance of her very creation. He says, look, 
It's not good that man should be alone. I will create for him a help meet. It's not good for him to be home. It's not good for him to be alone. So guess what? I'm going to bring someone of intrinsic value to his life to be able to partner with him, to be a counterpart, to be a completer, if you will, in his life. Oh, the war we face includes a massive attack on the biblical, biblically established roles and responsibilities. And by the way, this in no way, shape or form, concludes a story or the, the study, if you please, of roles and responsibilities. I encourage you to do some study of your own on that as well. But finally, I close with this. God tells us that men and women are joined in marriage. Men and women are created in the image of God. Men and women have different roles. And men and women are joined in marriage. Look at verse number 24. The Bible says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and the two, and they, the two, shall be one flesh. Folks, marriage is not some humanly devised institution. It's God's design, and his design for marriage is pretty clear. When it comes to marriage, his instructional manual that we hold in our hands makes no provision for anything other than one man and one woman. I know some of you are thinking, well, there was polygamy in Scripture. That's because we live in a fallen world. Polygamy was a result of sin. Polygamy is not God's design. So you look at it and you say, well, there's polygamy. We see, we see homosexuality in Scripture. We see this taking place. We live in a fallen world. It's not God's design. So whether it's polygamy, same-sex marriage, or any other combination of things that seeks the approval, watch this, of us, the reality is no matter whether they get our approval, they can never, ever get God's because that type of union stands in opposition to his word. And can I just say this? Again, if you've been asleep, unplugged, and on and on. You know in November that our very Senate here codified same-sex marriage? November 2022. It's codified into law. Can I tell you it doesn't matter what law they codify. It never outweighs the law of God. Right? Again, go, go to imperative number four. There's a way. See, see, I don't believe that, and, and here's the thing, there's a way that seems right. Pastor, it just seems right that we would do this, that we would love people this way, that we would just show them our, open our arms of love. No, it's not right. The right thing to do is to lovingly point them to God and the truth of his word. And I know what you're saying. What if they don't want to hear it? There's a lot of people who don't want to hear the truth of God's word. Including, watch this, including people who call themselves Christians. I'm serious, it's just, it's running rampant. I put in my notes, we didn't come up with the idea, and we didn't establish marriage. So why would we think that we are free, that we are worthy, or that we are able to redefine it? Again, they've already got them up for you. God is God and I am not. The Bible is his word. 
his thoughts and ways are higher than mine. At times, my thoughts and ways may seem right, but at the end of the day, they're not. And I put in my notes, when it comes to family matters, our values, convictions, standards, and directions must all come from what he has revealed to us in his holy word. He must be first. He must be first. Can you say first? first. He must be first. And he must have the final authority when it comes to biblical matters. Psalm 127, verse 1, I end the message where I began. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. The war may be raging, but we can be sure that God's word is true and that it will endeavor, it will endure, excuse me, forever and ever. So what do we do with this information? We ask God to give us strength. As we go away from this place, we don't, we don't ask God for strength, again, to go out and, and, and to be uh, bastions of anger and hate and, 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 and just seeking people to just lay the hammer. That's not what God's called us to do. But you know what? I believe this. I believe that if we would live a little bit more like Jesus, people would want to get to know him a little more. You see, when we go out and we don't live like Jesus, but then we want to condemn, we want to criticize anyone, and everyone for that matter, anyone and anyone, everyone and anyone who holds a different belief or struggles with identity issues, can I tell you that person will never, ever, ever want to know the Jesus that we know unless they see him and his love inside and through us. That's why Jesus said in John 13, 34 and 35, he said, a new commandment I give unto you. Here it is, that you love one another. And if you love one another, then guess what? Everyone else is going to see you. Everyone else is going to understand that you are my disciples, that you represent me. Just as God had told Adam and Eve, you need to go into this world. You need to subdue it. You need to make use of this world. And I'm giving you dominion over the fish and over the fowl and over the beast and the creepy things. And, and Adam, you have responsibility. You're going to have to answer because I gave you that command. And to be honest, Adam, I feel like in his heart, God said, you blew it. You blew it. And you know we didn't even talk about this, but you know what? You know what Adam and Eve did? They go and they, I don't know where they got the sewing machine. I don't know where they got it. But the Bible says they go and they get fig leaves and they sew them together somehow. They get creative and they cover themselves. Remember, they're naked and they don't understand that they're naked. They think this is a beautiful thing and it is a beautiful thing in that setting, right? And so, but when, when, they, when their eyes of their understanding is opened and they've been enlightened to the fact that they become sinners, that they have, they have disregarded God's word, they sew fig leaves together and you know what God says? He says, it's not going to work. Your way doesn't work. And in the Old Testament, and so right then and there, in, in verse 21 of chapter 3, God kills a goat. He gives them skins. He kills an animal, right? And gives places skins to cover their sinfulness. And then from that moment on, 
They understand that sin requires a payment. And all throughout the Old Testament, bulls and goats and on and on were sacrificed. But by the time you get to the New Testament in Hebrews, the Bible says that the blood of bulls and goats would not satisfy. It would no longer do. There was only one Lamb of God that could take away the sin of the world. And his name was Jesus. And folks, he went to an old rugged cross and he placed himself on that cross to die in our place. What I'm talking to you about today, when I give you three simple elementary points, may seem insignificant, but it's not. Because it's all connected. Because in the moment God has to judge Eve, He has to judge Adam, and He also puts a little hex on the serpent. He says, you're going to crawl around on your belly for the rest of your life, and guess what? One day, oh, one day, there's a Redeemer coming, and He's going to knock you out. And that's what Jesus did when he died on the cross. When he was buried in a borrowed tomb and three days later he arose victoriously, conquering death, hell, and the grave. He knocked the devil out. And he said, guess what? You can go and have your play date for a little while, but I'm coming back. And when I come back, it's all over. What do we do with this? Can I tell you? You matter to God. Individually, everyone in this room, you matter to God. Your family matters to God. Your parents, young people, I know sometimes it's hard, but your parents actually matter to God. (laughs) Wives, I know it's real hard. It's real hard to see it sometimes, but your husbands matter to God. Husbands, your wives matter to God because families matter to God. We're going to open up the invitation. You need to be baptized, ladies to my, or men to my left. Don't go that way. (laughs) Men this way, ladies this way. You need to be baptized. This is the greatest opportunity for you to do that. But here's what I want to do. As we begin this song of invitation, I'm going to ask you to prayerfully consider being bold enough Being bold enough to pray for your family. Pray for yourself, right? That God would protect us in this age in which we live. That we would lovingly, courageously stand for biblical truth. And maybe you might want to get your family together and bring them together and unite together to do so. I believe that the Lord would be honored by that. I won't beg you to do that, but I encourage you to do that as unto the Lord. Father, we love you. We thank you for what you've done already. I thank you for those who are desiring to be baptized. I pray that they'll take that step today. Lord, and I pray that if there's somebody here that doesn't know how much you love them, that today they would recognize that love. Even in a simple message about your creative power, they would understand your love and plan for their life. God, I thank you for you all that you have done and all that you are doing and all that you will do. I pray now that you'll bless this time invitation as we bring ourselves before your throne and we cast our care upon you knowing that you care for us. Lord, do what only you can do and we'll give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name we pray and for his sake, amen and amen.